0: Today, I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 25, and in 1 Samuel 25, we do find David, the one who we ascribe the credit to, the Shepherd psalm, Psalm 23, and this continues our series on hospitality as we also take a turn towards appreciating all of the work that is done by so many teams, ministry teams, volunteers, groups of people that make North Holland and the ministry of this church what it is. And if our vision is still around hospitality, intentionally sharing the love of Jesus through compassion-filled hospitality, then the work that we do ought to serve that purpose. And so as you hear these words from 1 Samuel 25, this is a story of David. It's also a story of Abigail. It's kind of her center uh, story of the ways that she's mentioned in the Old Testament. And also Nabal. And as you'll hear in 1 Samuel 25, Nabal means Fool. How would you like it if your parents named you Fool or Dumb One at the beginning of your life? Nabal is named Fool. Now we're going to read the whole chapter, and I know it's a little bit longer, but I don't mind reading it because this chapter reads like a really good story because it is one of God's really good stories in the Bible. And so we'll read the whole thing. I don't think you'll have any problem keeping up with the narrative. But maybe something helpful to know, just so we know what's going on with David at this point where we have this interesting episode of foolishness and of hospitality. We have to remember that David is being hunted by Saul. Um, Saul still wants David's life because David has broken away from Saul. And it is known throughout Israel that, well, Saul is king, but it seems like David's going to be the king. It is a time of turmoil. It is a small scale at this point civil war that is happening now david also is one that you don't want to mess with part of why he's being hunted by saul is because of saul's jealousy and so just to keep a picture in mind of who david is and who saul is in first samuel 18:7 there's a group singing and they sing the praises of saul their king but also the real hero is david first samuel 18:7 says this saul has slain his thousands they sing And David, his tens of thousands. Tens of thousands he has slain. David is a fierce warrior and the guy that you don't want to mess with. And his merry little band of renegades that are following him are probably the most elite fighting force in the region at the time. You don't want to mess with David. But also, we have to remember who David is as pronounced in 1 Samuel 13 Verse 14, when Saul is deposed as king and David is going to be anointed and brought forth, where we hear the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. David is that man after God's own heart. He is also capable of great violence. He is the one who has slain his tens of thousands. And with that backdrop in front of us, let's hear this from 1 Samuel 25, of David, of Nabal, and of Abigail. And pay attention for how foolishness and hospitality are opposites in this text. But before we read God's word together, let's pray, because we pray for God to open the scriptures to us. And so let's do that this morning. God, you promise in your word that when your word goes out, it will not return to you void or empty or useless. But rather, when your word is sown into our hearts like good seed reaching fertile soil, you bring an abundance and you bring a harvest of righteousness from it. So, Lord, we pray as we receive your word this day, as we reflect on it together, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and minds that you may make good on your promises that your word sent to us will not return empty, but will create a harvest of righteousness, of hospitality, of imitation of you in our lives. This, Lord, we pray in the holy name of Christ. Amen. 1 Samuel 25, I'll read the whole chapter, and at the end I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and if you are grateful, I invite you to respond with, thanks be to God. 1 Samuel 25, beginning at verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah, then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. <laughs> he was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness... He heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we have come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, "'Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water?' And the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings. But he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five siyas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. And she met them. David had just said, It's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David. With her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your, enemies be, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience The staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, "'Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt.' He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and am ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who is from Galim. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, of everything that happens in this story and for the many different lessons that we can pull from it and apply to our own lives, we have to start with what is first and primary in all of scripture, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this story is one more example in the Old Testament of a gospel preview, It is pointing us towards salvation that Jesus will fully enact. It's pointing us towards the gospel as we understand it. And if anyone ever talks to you about how how can you read the Bible with all that horrible stuff in the Old Testament, don't deny that there is horrible stuff in the Old Testament. There are gruesome stories that make us wonder what was going on, where was God then? And yet in the midst of all of that landscape, we have stories like this with David and Abigail and Nabal, which still maybe leads us some questions, but it is nonetheless a story that is pointing us forward towards Jesus. How do we make that meaning from 1 Samuel 25? It's if we put ourselves, unfortunately, in the place of Nabal. If we identify with Nabal first, which, I mean, honestly, we all would much rather um, think of ourselves as David or Abigail, and I promise you we'll get there, but let's start with ourselves as identifying a little bit with Nabal. Nabal the fool. Nabal who treats those who treat him well with contempt. Nabal who shows a complete lack of hospitality or appreciation. Nabal who represents sin and foolishness in this story of David. David. Nabal is a fool. And if we are honest, we can admit that we too at times are foolish. We fail to appreciate what God has done for us. We can sin. We can go our own way away from God's ways. We can be like Nabal. A little bit thick, a little bit slow, a little bit, um, well, we know better, but we don't do better. Sometimes we simply lack wisdom And in our lack of wisdom, we sin. And if we think of David, this man after God's own heart, who is descending upon the household of Nabal, if we think of ourselves in the place of Nabal, with our foolishness, with our sin, with our errors, with our mistakes, some small, some egregious, and then we think of God's holiness and perfection. And God's holiness cannot tolerate our sin, our foolishness. And we would be right and just to not withstand from God's wrath. If God's wrath were coming upon us on our own, on our own wisdom, we would come up short and we would be destroyed just as David set out to destroy the household of Nabal. And yet this wrath of David is stopped. And this wrath of God, out of God's holiness and perfection, this wrath of God that would come upon us, that would be just and right for us to receive God's wrath. Does God's wrath reach us? No, because God's wrath also was stopped because it was satisfied through Jesus Christ. In the very supper that we celebrate today, we remember that Christ's body was broken for us and Christ's blood was shed for us. And this is what satisfies God's wrath. Make no mistake of the parallels between David receiving a meal from the hand of Abigail and this was what stayed his wrath and that we today will also partake of a meal to remind us that the wrath of God, God's holiness and our sinfulness, the wrath of God is also satisfied through Christ with the meal that we remember our Savior with. This is a gospel story. It is wisdom that intervenes and it is a day of salvation for Abigail and others. It's a gospel story. It is righteousness confronting foolishness and sinfulness and yet what should be given, the consequences are allayed because of the wisdom of Abigail because she pursues hospitality where Nabal only knew how to live in foolishness and there are times where we live in foolishness and we need God's hospitality and kindness and wisdom to intercept us. Now, of course, Nabal still dies, does he not? Nabal still dies. And this seems to be a beautiful thing to David that his hands are spared from avenging himself because what does the Old Testament always say about wrath and vengeance? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is God's business not our business. And David catches himself when he is intent on doing violence and realizes, nope, vengeance would have been the wrong thing for me to pursue. Because God has intervened using Abigail to stop this from happening. But Nabal still dies. David is pleased by this. It seems rather just. After all, Nabal did treat him poorly. After all, Nabal couldn't take into account that David's David's special forces elite group hanging out with his shepherds David who was himself a shepherd probably has a soft spot in his heart for those who are often taken advantage of and belittled and forgotten or abused out in the hills taking care of their sheep David has a special place in his heart for them and so as it is said they were like a wall of protection around David's shepherds Nabal can't take that into account and so when we think about Nabal's death, if we're still thinking of ourselves in Nabal's shoes, realizing that there is wrath that is due us, but the wrath of God is satisfied through Christ, let's think of the two most likely reasons that Nabal would have had this apparent heart attack. One, the thought of generosity literally killed him. Nabal is greedy and selfish, and we should be careful to watch for our own greed and selfishness that makes us hold back a little bit of what is ours, what is our food, what's in our wallet, what is our time and our space. Nabal learns of this well after he sobers up and might not have been in the best state of mind. I'm guessing he had a headache at this point. When Abigail tells Nabal what happened, he has a heart attack. The generosity that she gave away all of this food to David and his men, it kills him because he can't imagine opening up his tight fist, his grip, and with living with generosity and purpose and giving back to those who had actually given so much to him. That might have killed Nabal. It might have done him in to know that some of his own stuff was given. The other option is he might have realized just how serious of a consequence this was going to be when he realized that 400 of the most dangerous men in that entire region had their swords ready to go, that they had made a a pledge before God to kill him and every male in his household, at that moment, Nabal also might have realized, oh wow, actions have consequences and my foolishness had a big one. And the realization that he was about to die, ironically, killed him all the same. How might we identify with Nabal in this? Two ways, when we partake of Christ's Holy Supper and every day that we pray to the Lord our God approaching the throne of grace with confidence, might we also remember that it is in Christ's name that we remember the love of God, that the wrath of God was satisfied for us, that this can terrify us for a little bit when we think of God's wrath, but then is overcome completely by the amount of comfort that we experience in knowing what Christ has done for us, that we remember the fullness and scope of what Jesus has done for us. And Nabal's heart failed him, but our hearts should be wrecked by realizing what has been done for us. It should bring us to gratitude, to generosity, to hospitality, and even to tears to know what Christ has done for us. Or similarly, to know, wow, this amount of generosity that Christ would give of himself, that Jesus would come to the earth as we'll celebrate soon as we get into advent and christmas that christ will come to us it should lead us to marvel and it should blow our minds to know this love of god in this way first samuel 25 is a gospel preview except we don't die at the end we like abigail have life because of wisdom but we can appreciate what was done for us the generosity of God then can lead us to reflect, how can we reflect gratitude with that same generosity? Knowing the consequences of our sin and realizing that was taken care of us, for, for us, should not be lost on us. And it should blow our minds and wreck our hearts in a good way. This is the way in which First Samuel 25 is a gospel story. And yet, we have to remember that Abigail isn't Jesus. There is a reflection and an echo of Jesus here, but we also can find, well, some comfort in knowing that everyday people like David, who's going to mess up, who's going to make his own mistakes, like Abigail, who is very wise, probably was not a perfect person because none of us are, that we also can find hospitality examples that we see in the scriptures that can resonate for us. And so let's switch for just a minute before we come to the table with a different outlook on the story. Knowing it's a preview of salvation, it is a gospel echo in the Old Testament, and that is all to the good and all helpful for us in the reading of the text. But let's also take on an everyday, normal, living life approach to what just happened. David has been wronged. David is already a somewhat desperate person living with his band of renegades out in the hills and he has been wronged. He has tried to do right, but as he even says, Nabal has returned him evil for good and something snaps in David and he is ready to kill. He is ready to unleash violence and harm on other people who are also created in the image of God. And why is he wanting to do this? Because it's vengeance, because it is his version of justice. No need for God to intervene. David will take care of what needs to be taken care of. David, who we see later on, sometimes is also a sinful person who wants to take what is his, who wants to take what God instructs into his own hands. In this case, he is saved by Abigail. David is intent on harm. And ever since Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, or Genesis 4, when Cain killed his brother Abel, we have demonstrated that as human beings, as a species, we are capable of great violence against one another. And most stories of violence beget more violence. Does this sound like anything that we see in headlines day after day in the news of places throughout the world or even here Does this sound like bullies who are pushed to their very edge, who are already desperate, who then commit great acts of violence against other human beings? David is in one of those positions. And what is it that stops him again? When David, who could kill? Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. That's a scary thought. And David is intent on killing every male in Nabal's household. He is intent on committing violence, even though he is created in the image of God and he's a man after God's own heart. In this moment, he is not his best, and he's going to take vengeance on himself into his own hands, and he's going to kill people. Nabal is completely unaware of this is going on, but what is it that stops David? Is it might makes right? Is it, okay, David's coming with violence, so Abigail needs to sound the alarm and get all of Nabal's men ready to fight back against David? I am almost sure that that would not have worked. What does she do? Does she try to flee? Does she take those in her household, those who she cared about, and try to run away and get to somewhere of peace and leave Nabal behind? Nope. It is neither fight nor flight, nor is it freeze. She is not paralyzed with indecision. Though Nabal becomes paralyzed like a stone until the Lord strikes him dead after 10 days, it is neither fight nor flight that stops this violence from happening, but it is hospitality. It is kindness. It is humility. Blessed are the meek, says Jesus, for they will inherit the earth. Abigail comes with all the supplies ready to serve a meal to David and his companions, ready to give them dignity and honor, ready to give them gratitude where they had gone unthanked. Abigail goes into the ravine, a strategic low spot. She does not have the high ground. She takes a low spot and then, even then, gets on the ground before David. And what does she do? She offers hospitality. Hospitality is the opposite of foolishness, though this moment of hospitality might seem like foolishness to the world. It might seem like foolishness to the world because Abigail's putting herself in great danger There's an angry group of guys who will kill anybody and they're coming her way and she meets them in a ravine in a strategic low spot and gets off of her donkey and offers them food and drink. Hospitality is what saves the household. Now, I don't know if we can fix everything that is wrong in the world. In fact, I know we can't. Jesus did say, as long as you're in this world, you will have trouble and tribulation. I wish that Jesus would come today, tomorrow, to make everything right, that swords could be beaten to plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, as the Isaiah vision gives us. And whatever God wants to do with tanks and helicopters and everything else, I'm not sure. But I do know this. If we are to align ourselves with the gospel and practice hospitality, because to practice hospitality is to put the gospel into practice, It seems that in 1 Samuel 25 and even in the communion with which we will partake today, a meal and food and comfort to those around us can make all the difference in the world. Because the violence of this world, the violence that human beings can create against each other, the pain that we can inflict on one another will not stop until Christ returns. But we can intervene and we can intervene the way Abigail intervened with hospitality and God's loving kindness that changes the course of events, that even David himself catches himself and says, I am so glad that I did not take vengeance into my hands. But Abigail had to see. She had to see clearly. All that Nabal can see is that, well, David just wants my stuff. Get out of here, David. But Abigail, David is called by Nabal, well, he mentions a lot of servants are leaving their masters these days. He knows what's going on between David and Saul. Who is this son of Jesse? Who are these guys coming from? Where are they coming from? But what does Abigail say? She notices, and it's said specifically in 1 Samuel 25, 29, she mentions the pocket of a sling that God will get rid of David's enemies. Pocket of a sling. What story does that resonate with you with David, Anybody? David and Goliath, from the pocket of a sling, may the Lord bring down your enemies. Abigail knows the rest of the story about David, this man after God's own heart. She knows that he is created in the image of God, as she is also, as we are also. But she knows that he is also the one who took down the giant Goliath. She doesn't see him the way Nabal sees him, as someone who just wants my stuff. She knows that this is the Lord's anointed. She knows the rest of the story, that David fights the Lord's battles. Abigail sees clearly and even in her words with ever so much wisdom and kindness and meekness and humility, there is no fight that she can win in this point. She sees David for who he is and recognizes him and even very cleverly and wisely hearkens back to a different time in his life when he wasn't looking out for himself. He was fighting the Lord's battles. What does this look like for us? As I said, there will always be headlines of violence until Christ returns and makes all things new. But there's some names and there's more that we could go into, but we won't go for time's sake. Has anyone heard of Aaron Stark? Nope, I had neither until I started looking for these. Aaron Stark was a would-be school shooter in North Denver, Colorado. He was intent on violence. He had been wronged, he had been bullied, he came from a messed up life. And he had a firearm and was ready and was just figuring out his target. But he speaks of a friend who always treated him with kindness. It doesn't make a news story, does it? Violence that gets staved off. It's a miracle that we have 1 Samuel 25. But he was staved off. And one of the quotes in an interview that he shares is this. He said, I would share with a friend of mine my deepest, darkest thoughts, and he treated me like it was any other Tuesday. It was hospitality and kindness that stopped an act of violence. Michael Hill, if anyone's heard of this story, or Antoinette Tuff. Michael Hill was ready to commit violence, and Antoinette Tuff, a school secretary, intercepted him. And you can actually look up and listen to that video, the audio and some video recording online. She couldn't fight. She was like Abigail, but she intercepted him. And actually, the story continues that after he was arrested, After Michael Hill was arrested, Antoinette continued to visit him in prison for what he had done and for what he was about to do. Hospitality is not only the antidote to foolishness, the opposite of foolishness, it is the antidote to so much violence. This is our call as Christians. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth There will always be more violence that we can inflict on one another unless we stop and see the way Abigail sees with the wisdom that God gave her and that we intercept hostility with a meal, with recognition, with appreciation, with gratitude. And what would have happened ceased. And you know what the beauty of it is? God still works out God's purposes against Nabal. It all works out. Abigail's life, in fact, becomes better and it's maybe heroic, maybe it's not as much fun, we don't get to see the great things that we, get, that we wish we could see. There's no epic moment for us here. But friends, as people of Jesus, the way of Jesus, might we be mindful of the ways in which we not only give food, but also kindness and dignity. And there's a lot of food that, things that we do here, and that's all to the good. Consider that, what if someone was going to come to our harvest feast? And what if it wasn't just the meal that they gave but also that they were no longer alone or isolated it's not just the food that we give it's also the welcome it is the hospitality of presence that we give to people we have a hospitality team here at north holland minding that those types of events we'll hear more about that next week as we get ready for the harvest feast we need to be people who serve food who find ways to give dignity to others the hospitality team is one example There's a group that will put a lot of work into the harvest feast. We all can take part in that, of giving a place for a warm meal, for warm conversation and for greeting in Christ's love. Every week we serve hands to hand bags across the street to the school. Now we don't get to interact. We don't get to have that moment where we say here, I'm giving this to you for this purpose, but kids are smart. They know where that food comes from. And if nothing else, what if it's a stereotype buster for in the future when kids grow up and hear things about church and what church going people are like, that we're creating a few kids over there that know, I know where that food comes from. It comes from that church across the street. What about those who have funeral luncheons where we serve, where we give food to those who have just lost a loved one and who are grieving, and we gather around tables with food to share, with a meal that we can remember together and remind us that we are not alone. What about the food drive for Kids Quest as we get food for uh, Harvest Stand Ministries so that we can give to those who are in need? What about our Wednesday night meals week after week? Granted, Hungry Howie's uh, makes most of the food, but we still serve it and create the space for it. What about our mobile food pantry cooperative with South Olive Christian Reformed that we give food and dignity to those who are in need? And with all of these examples, we can always say there might be some people who take advantage of it, but that's the NABLE lens, saying Nabal, oh, Who are these people coming for some of our stuff? But the Abigail lens says, let's share. Let's give hospitality. Let's share food with those who are in need. Because those who take advantage of it, they don't matter. Those who need it and receive it, that is worth it. A hundred times over every time to provide for those in need. And so friends, as we remember, 1 Samuel 25 is a gospel story of salvation, It is also a story that reminds us that hospitality is the opposite of foolishness and the antidote to much violence. And so as we come to this table today, may we remember that this is Christ's supper for us, that we can remember what Christ has done for us and never take it for granted, that our minds can be blown and our hearts can be wrecked in a good way as we remember God's love for us, that God showed his love by coming into the world sending his son Jesus Christ to take on our flesh and blood, to live for us, to die for us, and to rise again for us. It is in remembrance that we partake, careful remembrance, the bread and the cup. It's also a feast of communion that we remember that Christ is with us. As God was with Abigail in the ravine. so Christ is with us, even in our low moments, even in our scary moments. Christ promised to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us. And so as we partake of this supper, we look around and we know it's not just with one another that we share and partake. It is also Christ here present with us. And we take this supper in hope. We remember, we commune with God and one another, and we also have hope. We can hope for a lot of things, for this world to be better, but our hope is in Christ, that one day Christ will return and make all things new. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the mute will speak, the lame will walk. There will be no mourning or crying or pain or death, for the old order of things will have passed away. This is our hope. And as we receive this, we remember God's hospitality to us. Might we also be so careful to remember to show that love and hospitality to others around us as the opposite of foolishness and the antidote to great wrath?